You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, First Universalist. Please rise and body your spirit. Join me in singing our opening hymn, number 1040 in the Teal Hymnal, if you'd like to read. Words will be projected. Hush, here we go. Hush, hush, somebody's calling my name. Thank you for singing together. Thank you for singing beautifully together. If 
for no other reason than our combined singing warms the room, <laughs> slowly but surely. All of our past days, all of all past days, now in our wake, let our final word be love. All of the future come to greet us all the days ahead. Let our first word be love. Will you speak the covenant that we use to bind ourselves together again with me? Together, let us say, love is the spirit of this church. I'm so glad trouble don't last always. I'm so glad trouble don't last always. I cannot understand in words just how my ancestors managed to hew that little stone of hope out of the great mountain of despair that was their enslavement and captivity. I can't imagine, but against all odds, they did find a way to sing that trouble don't last always. Hans Deutsch created the chalice symbol for the Unitarian Service Committee to post in the window so that people would know that inside they could find safekeeping. Even this sanctuary, this place we call a spiritual home, was built for safekeeping by a congregation facing the threat of violence against the congregation, you can find the evidence of that safety all over the place, including the fact that it's on the second floor. But these aren't the places where the congregations lived. Our home, our place, moves with us. And each of these symbols comes to interrupt, to reroute the paces of life, of day-to-day -day life. Forgive me, would you allow me to start that sentence all over again? I'm so glad that my own confusion over my own handwriting doesn't last always. My ancestors found a stone of hope. I'm so glad trouble don't last always. I don't know where they got it. Hans Deutsch made this symbol 
It appeared in the windows in World War II. And when people walked in, they found a time of sanctuary. Right now, we are interrupting, we are rerouting our day-to-day -day lives, pausing for a moment in this special place to spend time with welcome and joy and all the experiences that we bring to the table. You are very welcome here. It matters to us that you have come. Today, we're in the midst of a month that we are calling Stop in the Name of Love. I see, I thought you would sing with me. All right, everybody's getting a second chance, so let's do that again. This month, we're, we're in the middle of a month called Stop in the Name of Love Before You. Yes, yes, yes. And we're focusing today on Sabbath-keeping. Why Stop Now is our service name. In song, in silence, in solidarity with each other, we lift our connections up. We leave no one alone who doesn't want to be in this room with their own burdens. We'll return to a favorite story of mine, Marion Bauer's The Stuff of Stars. And we'll remember that if we are made of the same stuff that made the Big Bang, then we are capable of the previously unimaginable reality of abundant life. And it's not coming with sacrificed joy. It will come from productivity when productivity is not valued above a decent night of sleep. It will start when we are willing to see and believe and say and act like we are already enough. It will start once we start to stop living capitalism and let, allowing capitalism to eat our whole lives and our whole days. It will stop when I stop, when you stop, when we learn to stop it in the name of love. Isn't that what this church thing needs to be about? Not about figuring out everything about love's call, but about listening to when love is calling us and being ready to respond and worship the natural tendencies, the natural tendencies of our lives and bodies. What is natural is justice. What is natural already is love. What is natural is rest and liberty. Right now, enough. No control is going to help the moment. Enough. Rest, relax, release. Let the moment be unshackled from your will for it. Enough. It is enough. You are enough. Enough already.
Breathe then with me to release control. Breathe to practice what will come hard. That which feels relaxing in the muscles. The world depends on us to let it do what it knows how to do to sustain life. Breathe. Let everything that breath has be gathered. Let us worship the fact of living, the power of love, the will to slow down. brought a story with me that I took to Dallas, Texas last week and read to a room of about a thousand Catholic sisters and nuns, the leaders of Catholic congregations all around the country. This is one of my very favorite stories. And I tell it to you now. It's called The Stuff of Stars. May it travel with you, too. The author is Marion Dane Bauer. Anyone know who Marion? <laughs> you have the same name as the author. Would you tell me how to pronounce the illustrator's name? Ekua. Ekua Holmes. The Stuff of Stars. Are you ready? In the dark. In the dark. In the deep, deep dark. A speck floated, invisible as thought, weighty as God. There was yet no time. There was yet no space. No up, no down, no edge, no center. No earth with soaring hawks scuttling beetles, trees reaching for the sky. There was no sky. No you, no me. Only the speck waiting. Waiting.
then, the beginning of the beginning of all beginnings went bang. I don't think I quite did that right. I think it would be helpful if we had a chorus. So let's try it again. And then the beginning of the beginning of all beginnings went And in a trillionth of a second, our universe was born. A cloud of gas unfolded, unfurled, zigged, zagged, stretched, collided, expanded, expanded, expanded. Bits bumped, gathered, fused. And throughout the cosmos, stars caught fire. Trillions of stars, but still no planets. No planets to attend those stars. And if no planets, then no oceans, no mountains, no hippopotami, no violets blooming in a shady wood. No crickets singing to the night. No day. No night. The stars burned and burned. They burned so long and so hot that some of them exploded, flinging stardust everywhere. And the ash of those dying stars gathered into planets. And the planets circled other stars. But still, no bluebirds, no butterflies, still no snails, no giraffes, no you, still no me. The planets closest to the star stayed very hot. The ones far away grew very cold. But one lucky planet, a fragile blue ball we call Earth, was neither too far nor too near. It circled its yellow star, the one we call the sun, from just the right distance and with just the right tilt to sometimes be warm, sometimes cool. Perfect for turning that starry stuff into mitochondria, jellyfish, spiders, into ferns and sharks, into daisies and galloping horses. Again and again, stardust gave birth to stardust. Dinosaurs lived and died, making room for humans. 
our great, great, great grandparents and all before them lived and died making room for more children. Then one day, in the dark, in the dark, in the deep, deep dark, another speck floated, invisible as dreams, special as love, waiting, waiting, dividing, changing, growing, until at last you burst into the world. You took a big breath of the same air once breathed by woolly mammoths. You cried tears that were once salty seas. Your hair, once the carbon in a leaf. You and the velvet moss, the caterpillars, the lions. You and the singing whales, the larks, the frogs. You and me loving you, all of us, the stuff of stars. We are gathered together, the stuff of stars we are for a time of worship. I forgot to say who I am. I'm Glenn Thomas. Uh, I'm director of Worship Arts Ministries. Joining me in leading worship, Amy Bryant, Franco Holder, Reverend Ashley, John and Olu, all of you ushers and greeters and 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 forming the community here. Do you know the song, when I breathe in, I breathe in peace, when I breathe out, I breathe out love. I breathe out love when I breathe in. I breathe in peace. I breathe in peace when I breathe out. I breathe out love. I breathe out love. Any basses?
like a shooting star. My name is Ashley, and I'm one of the ministers among you. This morning, as we enter more deeply into this rhythm of rest and renewal together, I invite you into a story and a practice. Yesterday, I had the honor of visiting with Dick and Carolyn Young. They made the decision last week to transition Carolyn to hospice care. Her health is deteriorating rapidly. Dick asked me to come quickly because he didn't know how long Carolyn would be alert. So I arrived in her hospital room yesterday to find her, not just alert in the moment, but alert in the sense of awakeness to all of life. Before yesterday, the longest I'd spoken to Carolyn was a few minutes after church. But she took my hand and held it and greeted me as though we had known each other well for years. I asked her, what is the spiritual work for you right now? Over the course of a number of questions, of course. And she settled in and said that she needed to practice letting go again the work of her lifetime. Letting go of all that was unfinished, all that remains imperfect, all that remains yet to be reconciled. The practice that has been her companion for over 30 years in this work of letting go is centering prayer. In her words, it has saved her over and over since the death of her son from a terrible accident. There is nothing like a little silence with God, she said. 
I asked her if she had the energy to lead me in some centering prayer. Oh, yes, she said. And it went something like this. I hope you will join me. Get yourself comfortable, she said from her hospital bed. Breathe all the way into your toes. Notice your feet and your legs. Feel your back against your chair. Notice your shoulders, but don't bother trying to relax them. Just notice them, that's enough. Notice your neck and your head, your face. Feel your chest and your heart, and just let your attention rest there on your breath. Now pick a word as a sacred invitation to be present. I usually choose Jesus or loving kindness as my word, depending on what I need to call on. But you can choose any word. Just breathe with it. Let us breathe now, beloveds. We sat for probably 10 minutes. I was worried she had fallen asleep. But she and Dick were both smiling, I realized, when I opened my eyes. And then she began to recite a prayer from her childhood. She squeezed my hand and laughed. Yesterday, I felt the most wonderful love when I prayed, she said. I didn't want it to end. But then somebody came in and took my blood pressure. <laughs> I'm ready for that part to be done. I'm ready for just the wonderful love. Stopping, breathing, praying, holding all our pain and our praise together is how we taste eternal, wonderful love in this life. Let us pray now. Let us hold each other in the holiness of this time. What do you offer to be held in community now? Please share aloud whatever it is that longs to be spoken, to be held in community. Please share it out loud or in the chat or in the silence of your heart.
we pray and we sing now. reading today from the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., from a speech titled, A Look to the Future. This excerpt is from the speech from 1957. Here, the words of Reverend Dr. King. There are some things in our social system to which I am proud to be maladjusted, and to which I suggest that you too ought to be maladjusted. I never intend to adjust myself to the viciousness of mob rule. I never intend to adjust myself to the evils of segregation and discrimination. I never intend to adjust myself to the tragic inequities of an economic system which takes necessities from the masses to give luxuries to the classes. I never intend to become adjusted to the madness of militarism and the self-defeating method of physical violence. I call upon you to be maladjusted. Maladjusted as the prophet Amos, who in the midst of injustices of his day could cry out in terms that echo across the centuries, let judgment run down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. As maladjusted as Lincoln, who had the vision to see that his nation could survive, could not survive half slave and half free. Yes, as maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth, who dared to dream a dream of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. He looked at men amid the intricate and fascinating military machinery of the Roman Empire and could say to them, he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus, who could look at men in the midst of their tendencies for tragic hate and say to them, love, love, 
thine enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Dr. King concludes, the world is in desperate need of such maladjustment. I call upon you to be maladjusted. It may be that the salvation of the world lies in the hands of the maladjusted. So ends the reading.
This week, in our all-staff meeting, we began with a getting-to-know-you exercise to welcome our new awesome staff person, Allison Connolly Vetter, our Interim Director for Children, Youth, and Family Ministries. She's hanging out with our kids today during this time. If you're downstairs later, you can say hi. You'll meet her in worship next week. But one of the prompts for our getting to know you time was to list three adjectives or nouns to describe oneself. We heard wonderful descriptions of each other. Reliable, generous, sensitive, bookish, detail-oriented, nerdy, gentle, on and on. Mine, on the other hand, wound up being a list that was also a statement. Tired, comma, queer, comma, mom, period. <laughs> I felt like the brilliant, autistic, queer Australian comedian Hannah Gadsby, who is famous for saying, I identify as tired. The irony that I am preaching this morning on stopping and about Sabbath is absurd. My work days are many two hours long between the unpaid labor of parenting and the paid, thank you very much, labor of churching. The summer feels too long now too, as most of the camps for little ones have ended with still weeks left before the parental respite of the school year. Meanwhile, the distance between snacks and meals for my children has shrunk too small. Little bodies have so many big needs. And that's just a snapshot of the endlessness of demands in the microcosm of my food-secure, well-housed, two-parent and overall healthy white household. There is a collective and cumulative exhaustion that some of our bodies bear more heavily than others. I was pregnant, gave birth, and nursed my mom through her death during the heights of the COVID pandemic but we each have our own particular and peculiar grief that live in our very bones, that crowd our souls from these COVID times. And we're just beginning to understand the mental health toll of COVID, especially according to the World Health Organization on our kids on women who globally make up the largest number of primary caretakers, those living on or near the poverty level who are overly, overwhelmingly BIPOC. This is not to say that before the global pandemic, there was a level playing field of exhaustion. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's words from 1957 remind us that violence and economic and racial disparities are as reliable in this country as the sunrise. They, in fact, go back the thousands of years of humanity that his poem traces. There is no end to what a living world will demand of you, wrote Octavia Butler, black, brilliant science fiction writer and activist. I don't mean to stand up here and depress you, I promise. 
but I have to remind you that just because I am a pastor, I don't have any more answers than you do. Really, the difference between us is that I have this very strange job where I choose to speak honestly, where I choose to preach from the reality of what it means to be human, where it hurts, and where I see holiness emerging through a better way we could find together. My job is not to model doing it right, but to model the great mess that is living open to what I call variously God or love, revolution or holiness, creativity or spirit, and to model a willingness to be transformed by that same force in the service of building beloved community here and now. This week, as I lived the messiness and tremendous irony of preparing to preach on Sabbath, I came back to the God of my Jewish and Christian traditions. This God calls us to practice what King calls maladjustment to the unequal demands of the world, to the patterns of individual and collective exhaustion. As the book of Exodus from the Hebrew Bible says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath. You shall not do any work. Not you, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the immigrant in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. God rested. The creative, revolutionary, holy, loving breath of life took a break and told us to do the same. I wonder if she was worried about her proverbial emails while she paused. Did she bother with an autoresponder? Or was she able to trust that the sun would still set without her gentle coaxing? Was he stressed about what he hadn't finished creating yet? Were they making to-do lists for the next morning while trying to fall asleep? I do not think of God in any kind of personalized way. But I have to admit that it helps me to see my own ridiculousness when I think about God that way, if only for the thought exercise of it. So let us pause for a moment, imagining the spark of all possibility pausing with us, breathing through us into the silence and any of our own to-dos that pop up into it. One of my mentors of sustainable living and justice seeking is a man I only met through his books, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. 
He is best known to many of us for calling us to pray with our feet, as in to protest as an act of prayer. He walked the front lines of the civil rights struggles of the 1960s arm in arm with Reverend Dr. King. But what sustained his justice practice was his prayer practice, and more specifically, his Sabbath practice. He wrote in his now classic book, The Sabbath, what is Sabbath? Spirit in the form of time. Spirit in the form of time. I love that theological poetry. Sabbath is the day of rest God commands each week. And it in itself, that time is divine. It in itself is an incarnation of God, love, revolution, holiness, creativity, or spirit. We're usually taught to understand God either in entirely personalized terms or in the ethereal. But time, how about time? Sit with that idea. Time in and of itself can be the presence of the spirit. Or in the words of Octavia Butler again, God is change. How often do we think we have to be in a certain place, like a church, or perhaps someplace exquisitely beautiful to experience holiness? Or how often do we think we have to show up to worship looking or feeling or acting a certain way to know love? Or think we have to be with the right people who believe the right things, the stuff we believe, to get close to revolution. All of those ideas go out the window when we think of time or the passage of time known as change in and of itself as containing the possibility of rest and reconnection with all that is holy. Heschel continues, with our bodies, we belong to space, but our spirit, our souls soar to eternity, aspire to the holy. This is the glory and the struggle of being incarnate embodied beings. When I'm sick or in physical pain or just entirely exhausted, sometimes I joke I want to hang up my body in the closet like a dress. Just take a little break. Bodies are our greatest sources of pain and pleasure, which means they are totally exhausting. And they also have a terrible habit of needing things all the time and a track record of seeking dominance and ownership and hierarchy. Our souls, on the other hand, that spark of life beyond all understanding enliven our bodies. Our souls connect us to the sacredness within and beyond our bodies and this realm. They are like, and pardon the crassness, a Wi-Fi hotspot to the divine, to the eternal. Sabbath is the password we need to actually connect to the proverbial Wi-Fi network of the divine source, whatever we call it. You just can't get there otherwise. 
Sabbath is the ancestral, ancestral rhythm of renewal and recreation by and with God. It's as much a political act as it is a personal practice. Walter Brueggemann, biblical scholar, says, Sabbath is an occasion for reimagining all of social life away from coercion and competition and towards compassionate solidarity. Such solidarity is imaginable only when the drivenness of acquisitiveness is broken. Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes, it is the pause that transforms. Or in the words of Reverend Dr. King, it is the pause that can maladjust us to all that is unjust, if we let it. It can undo us so we can redo us. It is a collective glimmer of beloved community, a rehearsal of sorts of the world in which every single one of us has enough to eat and a safe place to rest. How do you need to be undone? How do you need to become maladjusted to the norms that exhaust you, that make you feel less than, that demand your spirit bend out of alignment with justice? Let us pause again, a little longer this time, breathing together, knowing that our very being is already made whole and holy. We are part of that creation story in which God pauses to rest. We are among the creatures of the earth God is confident will be okay for just a hot second while she takes a nap. We too can pause and rest, step back from our own creations. Why is that so hard to remember? I think it's because us UU people are not a collectively Sabbath-practicing people. And this is a collective practice of care, not a commodity practice like a pedicure we can do by ourselves. This week when I was feeling particularly both sheepish and grumpy about writing about Sabbath, I reached out to a beloved friend of mine the Rabbi Ariel, senior rabbi at Shirtikva Congregation and a part of a community that practices Sabbath together regularly. She said to me, Sabbath isn't just about not doing, it's about changing our rhythms. Even things we do anyway, clapping for example. On Shabbat we clap differently. We try to sanctify time by breaking our habits and routine. And in case you're wondering, like I was, how do you clap on Shabbat? This is how you do it. Hand to elbow. Hand to elbow. How cool is that? It just forces you to stop and pay attention. 
She continued, I think there's a lot to learn there about how to keep staying present to our kids or to the grind of our lives. We have to create a rupture in the experience of drudgery and accountability, which has the possibility of renewing both our own spirits and our relationships with others, our kids, our partners, our friends, our whole communities. And I thought, yes, this part I can do. Sanctify time by breaking my habits and routine, routine so I can remember that time in itself can be sacred. For the caregivers among us, we never truly stop working, but we can create a rupture in our relationship to even the most intimate work of caregiving for the sake of renewal. It doesn't have to be the scale of the Big Bang, the rupture we create. It's just clapping differently with intention that slows us down. Let's take a moment now and pause once again, just a tiny bit longer. I'm too cold to keep pausing. <laughs> Let us begin this week by choosing one thing, one thing to say no to that will make a space for us to say yes to God, love, revolution, creativity, spirit. Let us practice rupture in habit for the sake of sanctifying time. One. No. While I am not a person whose life stage lends itself to taking a three-day silent retreat like Reverend Arif, I can say no, like he suggested, to multitasking, if only for one day. He wrote in our Liberal this week, in this electronic device-rich world that we live in, it is alarmingly easy to fill every waking moment with a device in our hands. How many times have I caught myself walking while texting, in a waiting room somewhere reading an email, or on social media, or a random article? How many times have I eaten a meal with my phone in front of me? You get the picture. So, back to me, Reverend Jen and I tried this in the office last Thursday, and instead of habitually bringing our lunches to our desk, we sat together and talked and ate like people do. It was a lovely 15 minutes. And none of you sent us an email that demanded us to respond immediately. We discovered that when we got back to our desks. One could also follow the lead of our beloved Liz Farmer and say no to rushing while driving. Red lights, stop lights, used to be her pet peeve. And lately she's taken them on as a spiritual opportunity. Each time she's stuck at one, she pauses to breathe three times. She tries to notice something beautiful. 
She lets herself be transformed by a tiny window of time in a tiny way that adds up for her. This week, I get to go on family vacation for a few days up north, and that's a big rupture in routine, which is both beautiful and stressful, as any fellow parent of toddlers can affirm. But I'm going to practice sanctifying time when my nervous system gets all kinds of frazzled by saying no to reactivity and yes to sniffing my toddler's heads. Seriously. Even if they haven't had enough baths, their heads smell like holiness to me, and they reset my system. What small no can you offer yourself this week? What rupture in routine would give you rest? What maladjustment to injustice practiced in the dailiness of no as a complete sentence can you claim today? This is the challenge of the God of change, the holiness of time always available to each of us. May it be so. Amen. In my elementary school, when you got a full year of perfect attendance, you were given a ribbon and a certificate. And each year that you gained perfect attendance, the ribbon and the certificate got bigger. So you can imagine my perfectionist self being greeted by my stepfather when he said, Louis Farrakhan has called for a million-man march. A million of us are going to Washington, D.C., and you're coming with. I said, absolutely not. It's a historic moment. You may go. I want the ribbon. When I got to the, when I finally got to my class a couple of weeks later, I had successfully declined the invitation to the Million Man March. My stepfather went, and just as I thought I had escaped, my teacher says, today is a special day, and for this special day, we will be spending all of our class time watching the Million Man March. (laughs) Here's where I learned the lesson. There was a helicopter taking a camera around to see a crowd of thousands upon thousands of people. One of them alone was just their own life, but together they made the news. In a moment, the ushers will come to receive the morning's offering. And what you can do is wonderful. What you can do is wonderful. But together, we can be a united force for what we stand for, for love and faith and justice. We're raising money for community dinners today. And I am asking, on behalf of the congregation, for your generosity to be expressed in all the ways you can. Giving, receiving, as love shows us how is our lesson. 
May we bring news of great joy to the world waiting for us and the love that is calling us next. The ushers will receive the morning's offering. I thank you for your generosity. Franco, thank you. Thank you for joining in the practice of gratitude and good giving. Thank you for making a difference in the world in the name of love. The day now greets us. The world now greets our liberating ministry. And so I think the right thing to do is to sing, let us rise. And we'll sing one more time together. Where you go, I will go, beloved.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.